Hello and welcome to another episode of Everyday Theology, where we connect theological truths to the everyday believer. I'm your host, Ben Campbell. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be starting a new series of podcasts along with our Regulative Principles series, and this one is going to be called Studies in Classical Arminianism. And we're going to start with probably one of the most overlooked doctrines altogether in systematic theology, and that is the doctrine of anthropology. That is... Uh, the doctrine of man or the doctrine of humanity. The American Anthropological Association actually defines anthropology as the act of studying that which makes people human. You see, anthropological studies focus on archaeology, biblical anthropology, cultural anthropology, and linguistic anthropology. It's comprised of these four components, and it focuses on how humans think and act in the different categories that make life, life. Biblical anthropology is distinct from other approaches to human nature, even though there are anthropological contributions in psychology, sociology, and other disciplines. Biblical anthropology benefits humans, but it also provides a framework through which humans can thrive. And while the American anthropology approach is uh, going to prioritize archaeology and culture and how that uh, is a little bit helpful, it's not all-inclusive. It misses an important component that biblical anthropology presents. You see, biblical anthropology considers what it means to be human and is all-inclusive to what we call the total personality, whereas American anthropology is limited in observing the past and making probabilities based on past behaviors. And this is a major problem, is that it attempts to look backward and forward simultaneously. And so, before we consider really how classical Arminian doctrine contributes to the development of of biblical anthropology, we need to explain why anthropology matters at all for believers like us. You see, biblical anthropology sees human beings in a completely different light. Instead of making what we would call educated guesses at what humans were in years past, students of the Bible can know from where humanity has its origin. Biblical anthropology uh, entertains a few understood realities, making the journey of anthropology all the more worthwhile. And here's a few of them. The first thing we understand is that humans are image bearers of Creator God. Now, being an image bearer of God, the Almighty One, does not mean that there is a supreme being who looks like a human somewhere in the great beyond. Instead, bearing God's image is, as Leroy Fourlines so eloquently states, linked to rationality. And what Fourlines means here is that human beings are not silhouettes of God Almighty, but instead we reflect His person through our rationality. This is what Genesis 1.27 affirms. He says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Another reality is that human beings are fallen creatures. Now, humanity is created after the image and likeness of Creator God, but our natures are fallen. And often we think of fallen natures as something that might be a bit broken but can be fixed by something we do, and that is most definitely an unfair approach to our natures as human beings. Our nature being fallen means we are so deep in our sinful state that there is no way out. Spurgeon says that sin has deprived man of the principle of spiritual life and made him a depraved and debased creature. So, it is not as if human beings simply, quote, miss the mark, per se, 
but that we are devoid of spiritual life and we need to be made alive because of the disobedience of our first parents. And with our Calvinist brothers and sisters, we classical Arminians affirm the doctrine of total depravity. This doctrine impacts our understanding of human nature, which then impacts how individuals think and act. And that position is distinct from any secular anthropology in that secularists teach from an evolutionary perspective that humans are basically good. Think about the, the uh, pop- popular country song from Luke Bryan which says, I believe most people are good, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood, and I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe who you love who you love ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. You see, the intention of this song is to move the listener to consider that our friends and neighbors really aren't as bad as we think they are. Now, there are several errors with the thinking behind this song, and we can't discuss them all here, but my point is that the Christian worldview does not teach that most people are good or that there is nothing you should ever be ashamed of. We, as Christians and as Orthodox believers, teach that you are totally depraved and you are a wicked-born sinner. We also teach that there is a right and wrong because morals and ethics proceed from God's perfect nature. A third reality is that human beings are created for a relationship with their creator. You see, God as Trinity is relationship. God exists within himself as a triune being, meaning that God is one being and three persons. Dr. Matthew Barrett helpfully explains how God is one. Here's what he says, and I quote, He is one by nature. He is one in nature. He is not a God made up of parts, but a God without parts. There is in him no composition, nor can he be compounded by parts. If he could, then he would be a divided being, that is, parts are divisible by definition, a mutable being, parts are prone to change, a temporal being, parts require a composer, and a dependent being, depending on these parts as if they precede him. End quote. You see, in other words, God exists as one being through three persons in perfect communion with one another. There is no God without relationality because there are no parts to the God of the Bible. He is simply relationship within himself. Thus, human beings being made in his likeness are relational as well. And not only does God exist in relationship, but he desires relationships with his creation, which explains how human beings are so uh, relational as human beings. As Augustine of Hippo says in his Confessions, you have made us for your own, and our heart is restless until they rest in you. Fourth, is that human beings are created for relationships with other human beings. Genesis 2.18 shows us that human beings need other human beings through relationships. God created Adam to maintain the garden, but knew that it was not good for him to be alone. So he gave Adam Eve to satisfy his need for relationship. You see, human beings come depressed when they lack interaction uh, of some level relationally. Even introverts need social interaction to an extent. 
And God knew when he created Adam that Eve would be exactly what he needed to flourish, even pre-fall. Um, our other contributor, Dustin, has written on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's seminary community at Finkwald, uh, and it serves really as a model for Christian communities today, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But why does this matter? Because, see, the bigger question of the entire issue is the importance of biblical anthropology altogether. Like, what is the necessity of knowing who we are as human beings according to the Bible? Why uh, should we study anthropology? What what does it enhance? Why should we understand the origin of man? The reason this matters is because one's theology of man will ultimately impact your theology of salvation. You see, sinners must recognize themselves for who they are in order to see the need for redemption and the glories of God in Christ in their salvation. And if we fail to recognize the way of human beings, we fail to recognize how one responds to the call of God on their life for salvation. And biblical anthropology teaches who we are and how we can become human again through Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel impacts the total person. And this is, of course, where classical Arminianism, I think, provides a wonderful framework for how God calls people to himself through his spirit, what Leroy Fourlines calls the influence and response. You see, according to the quest for truth, Fourlines asserts that the influence and response model of salvation says that God works in us to influence and to enable us to will and to do his good pleasure. In other words, the work of salvation for the human person is totally of God and not of man. God works in us by his spirit through his word in order to draw us to himself. And so where this comes through in your doctrine of man is what four lines labels the total personality, as we've mentioned several times throughout this episode. You see, in this view of man, four lines claims that every human being is a thinking, feeling, acting being. While Four Lines uses this approach more in epistemological endeavors, it can be applied to our doctrine of man also. You see, applied to anthropology, this approach to truth proves faithful to biblical doctrines because it is made applicable to the total personality, the intellect, the emotions, and the will. You see, we've been created in the image and likeness of God, which means that not only are people rational beings, but we think with our minds, feel with our hearts, and act with our wills. And so when God deals with us as total persons, he does not deal with us mechanically as a machine. He deals with our uh, persons as thinking and feeling and acting beings. And you see, this has massive implications for other doctrines of the faith, which I'm sure will be mentioned in future posts. But human beings are people created in the image and likeness of our Creator. We are totally depraved, however, and unable to come to God on our own merit. And we were created for relationships with others and with our Creator. And most importantly, we are more than just machines with whom God works against our personalities. We are total persons who are influenced and enabled by God to respond to His drawing power by His Spirit through His living and active Word. And so, when our theology of man is incorrect, it affects more than just your view of others, but it also affects your view of God, salvation, other important Christian doctrines of the faith, and especially how you view yourself. But ultimately, Jesus the Messiah has embodied the best characteristics of what it means to be human and to have the ability to think and feel and act. You see, he invites us to become human again, 
And as we allow the Spirit to transform us through the Word, we will become more truly human. And see, being truly human means being conformed to Christ's image. We are not really living until we are living as Christ's disciples. And while this is definitely an introduction into Christian anthropology, from a Christian and classical Armenian perspective, we hope uh, also to engage this topic in further future posts. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Everyday Theology. For more information, you can go to our website, everydaytheology.co, or you can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on YouTube. 